Long history. The southern United States in the 1500s. Part 18. Death in Arkansas. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 18 of Long History's The Southern United States in the 1500s. We've arrived at one of the most important points of the whole narrative. If you're new to this particular document, this text describes an expedition from the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southern United States. That includes Florida, Arkansas and most of the states in between. The man in charge of the expedition was called Hernando de Soto, and the man who wrote this text, who also took part in this expedition, was known as the Gentleman of Elvers. Now, as the previous episode ended, the signs were bad. Hernando de Soto had crossed Arkansas, then crossed back, reaching the Mississippi River. His expedition had lasted for three years, and he seems to have run out of enthusiasm, especially with the death of an interpreter who had accompanied him throughout the voyage. He is becoming increasingly aware that he is far from the sea and there is no easy way to return to the Spanish-speaking world. Many of his men and his horses have died, and de Soto himself has now fallen ill. As the previous episode ended, he heard a rumour that the local people were about to attack. But with the death of that interpreter in particular, his inability to relate to these people in any way is shown in the fact that he simply does not know if this rumour is true. Perhaps it's just a tactic to get him out of the area. As a result of this rumour, however, as this episode begins, Hernando de Soto, known as the governor in this text, has left the gates to the fortifications where he is staying open to show that he is unafraid. His first act in this episode is to send a captain to attack a village to instill fear in the local people. So here we go with part 18 of the southern United States in the 1500s, Death in Arkansas. That the Indians might stand in terror of them, the governor determined to send a captain to Nilco, which the people of Guachoya had told him was inhabited, and, treating the inhabitants there severely, neither town would dare to attack him. So he commanded Captain Nuno de Tobar to march thither with fifteen horsemen, and Captain Juan de Guzman, with his company of foot, to ascend the river by water in canoes. The cacique of Guachoya ordered canoes to be brought, and many warriors to come who went with the Christians. Two leagues from Nilco, the cavalry, having first arrived, waited for the foot, and thence together they crossed the river in the night. At dawn, in sight of the town, they came upon a scout, who, directly as he saw the Christians, set up loud yells and fled to carry the news to those in the place. Nuno de Tobar and those with him hastened on so rapidly that they were upon the inhabitants before they could all get out of town. The ground was open field. The part of it covered by the houses, which might be a quarter of a league in extent, contained five or six thousand souls. Coming out of them, the Indians ran from one to another habitation, numbers collecting in all parts, so that there was not a man on horseback who did not find himself amidst many. And when the captain ordered that the life of no male should be spared, the surprise was such that there was not a man among them in readiness to draw a bow. The cries of the women and children were such as to deafen those who pursued them. About one hundred men were slain. Many were allowed to get away badly wounded, that they might strike terror into those who were absent. Some persons were so cruel and butcher-like that they killed all before them, young and old, not one having resisted little nor much, while those who felt it their duty to be wherever there might be resistance, and were esteemed brave, broke through the crowds of Indians, bearing down many with their stirrups and the breasts of their horses, giving some a thrust and letting them go, but, encountering a child or a woman, would take and deliver it over to the footmen. To the ferocious and bloodthirsty, God permitted that their sin should rise up against them in the presence of all, when there was occasion for fighting, showing extreme cowardice, and in the end, paying for it with their lives. 
80 women and children were captured at Nilco and much clothing. The Indians of Guachoya, before arriving at the town, had come to a stop and from without watched the success of the Christians over the inhabitants. And when they saw that these were scattered, that the cavalry were following and lancing them, they went to the houses for plunder, filling the canoes with clothing. And lest the Christians might take away what they got, they returned to Guachoya, where they came greatly astonished at what they had seen done to the people of Nilco, which they, in great fear, recounted circumstantially to their cacique. Chapter 30 The Death of the Arlantado Don Hernando de Soto and how Luis Moscoso de Alvarado was chosen governor. The governor, conscious that the hour approached in which he should depart his life, commanded that all the king's officers should be called before him, the captains and the principal personages, to whom he made a speech. He said that he was about to go into the presence of God, to give account of all his past life, and since he had been pleased to take him away at such a time, and when he could recognise the moment of his death, he his most unworthy servant, rendered him hearty thanks. He confessed his deep obligations to them all, whether present or absent, for their great qualities, their love and loyalty to his person, well tried in the sufferance of hardship, which he ever wished to honour, and had designed to reward, when the Almighty should be pleased to give him repose from labour with greater prosperity to his fortune. He begged that they would pray for him, that through mercy he might be pardoned his sins, and his soul be received in glory. He asked that they would relieve him of the charge he held over them, as well of the indebtedness he was under to them all, as to forgive him any wrongs they might have received at his hands. To prevent any divisions that might arise as to who should command, he asked that they would be pleased to elect a principal and able person to be governor, one with whom they should all be satisfied, and, being chosen, they would swear before him to obey that this would greatly satisfy him, abate somewhat the pains he suffered, and moderate the anxiety of leaving them in a country they knew not where. Baltasar de Gallegos responded in behalf of all, consoling him with remarks on the shortness of the life of this world, attended as it was by so many toils and afflictions, saying that whom God earliest called away he showed particular favour, with many other things appropriate to such an occasion. And finally, since it pleased the Almighty to take him to himself, amid the deep sorrow they not unreasonably felt, it was necessary and becoming in him, as in them, to conform to the divine will, that as respected the election of a governor, which he ordered, whomsoever his excellency should name to the command, him they would obey. Thereupon the governor nominated Luis Moscoso de Alvarado to be his captain-general, when, by all those present, he was straightway chosen and sworn governor. The next day, the 21st of May, departed this life the magnanimous, the virtuous, the intrepid captain Don Hernando de Soto, governor of Cuba and Adelantado of Florida. He was advanced by fortune, in the way she is wont to lead others, that he might fall the greater depth. He died in a land, and at a time that could afford him little comfort in his illness, when the danger of being no more heard from stared his companions in the face, each one himself having need of sympathy, which was the cause why they gave him neither their companionship nor visited him, as otherwise they would have done. Luis de Moscoso determined to conceal what had happened from the Indians, for Soto had given them to understand that the Christians were immortal. Besides, they held him to be vigilant, sagacious, brave, 
and although they were at peace, should they know him to be dead, they, being of their nature inconstant, might venture on making an attack, and they were credulous of all that he had told them, for he made them believe that some things which went on among them privately he had discovered without their being able to see how or by what means, and that the figure which appeared in the mirror he showed told him whatsoever they might be about or desired to do, whence neither by word nor deed did they dare undertake anything to his injury. So soon as the death had taken place, Luis de Moscoso directed the body to be put secretly into a house, where it remained three days, and thence it was taken at night, by his order, to a gate of the town and buried within. The Indians who had seen him ill, finding him no longer, suspected the reason, and passing by where he lay, they observed the ground loose, and, looking about, talked among themselves. This, coming to the knowledge of Luis de Moscoso, he ordered the corpse to be taken up at night, and among the shawls that enshrouded it having cast abundance of sand, it was taken out in a canoe and committed to the middle of the stream. The cacique of Guachoya asked for him, saying, What has been done with my brother and lord, the governor? Luis de Moscoso told him that he had ascended into the skies as he had done on many other occasions. But, as he would have to be detained there some time, he had left him in his stead. The chief, thinking within himself that he was dead, ordered two well-proportioned young men to be brought, saying that it was the usage of the country when any lord died to kill some persons who should accompany and serve him on the way, on which account they were brought, and he told him to command their heads to be struck off, that they might go accordingly to attend his friend and master. Luis de Moscoso replied to him that the governor was not dead, but only gone into the heavens, having taken with him of his soldiers sufficient number for his need, and he besought him to let those Indians go, and from that time forward not to follow so evil a practice. They were presently ordered to be let loose, that they might return to their houses, but one of them refused to leave, alleging that he did not wish to remain in the power of one who, without cause, condemned him to die, and that he who had saved his life he desired to serve as long as he should live. Luis de Moscoso ordered the property of the governor to be sold at public outcry. It consisted of two male and three female slaves, three horses and seven hundred swine. For each slave or horse was given two or three thousand cruzados, to be paid at the first melting of gold or silver, or division of vassals and territory, with the obligation that should there be nothing found in the country, the payment should be made at the end of a year, those having no property to pledge, to give their bond. A hog bought in the same way trusted two hundred cruzados. Those who had left anything at home bought more sparingly, and took less than others. From that time forward most of the people owned and raised hogs. They lived on pork, observed Fridays and Saturdays, and the vespers of holidays, which they had not done before for at times they had passed two or three months without tasting any meat, and on the day they got any it had been their custom to eat it. Chapter 31 How the governor, Luis de Moscoso, left Guachoya and went to Chaguete, and from thence to Aguacay. Some were glad of the death of Don Hernando de Soto, holding it certain that Luis de Moscoso, who was given to leading a gay life, preferred to see himself at ease in the land of Christians rather than continue the toils of war, discovering and subduing, which the people had come to hate, finding the little recompense that followed. The governor ordered that the captains and principal personages should come together to consult and determine upon what they would do, and, informed of the population there was on all sides, he found that towards the west the country was most inhabited, and that descending the stream, after passing Igaltam, it was desert and had little subsistence. 
he besought them all to give their opinion in writing, signed with their names, that, having the views of everyone, he might determine whether to follow down the river or enter the land. To everyone it appeared well to march westwardly, because in that direction was New Spain, the voyage by sea being held more hazardous and of doubtful accomplishment, as a vessel of sufficient strength to weather a storm could not be built, nor was there captain, nor pilot, needle, nor chart, nor was it known how distant might be the sea, neither had they any tidings of it, or if the river did not take some great turn through the land, or might not have some fall over rocks where they might be lost. Some who had seen the sea card found that by the shore, from the place where they were to New Spain, there should be about five hundred leagues, and they said that by land, though they might have to go round about sometimes, in looking for a peopled country, unless some great impassable wilderness should intervene, they could not be hindered from going forward that summer, and, finding provision for support in some peopled country where they might stop, the following summer they should arrive in a land of Christians, and that, going by land, it might be they should discover some rich country which would avail them. Moscoso, although it was his desire to get out of the land of Florida in the shortest time, seeing the difficulties that lay before him in a voyage by sea, determined to undertake that which should appear to be the best to all. This episode is full of contrasts and is also very revealing. The gentlemen of Elvis could easily have glossed over the massacre that took place in Nilco, especially in the light of the fact that Hernando de Soto dies soon afterwards. This juxtaposition of the deaths of local people with de Soto's death is telling in many ways, especially when further details appear in the narrative. Upon his death, Hernando de Soto is described in grand terms by the gentlemen of Elvas. The magnanimous, the virtuous, the intrepid captain Don Hernando de Soto, governor of Cuba and adelantado of Florida. It's almost like somehow he's a king. Yet that close connection with the massacre somehow undermines this description. There have been hints of this previously, but here the gentleman of Elvas makes explicit that Hernando de Soto encouraged the locals in their belief that he and his companions were, if not gods, then godlike, in phrases such as, Soto had given them to understand that the Christians were immortal. Now I'm not an expert in religious belief in the 1500s, but I do wonder is the gentleman of Elvas obliquely showing his disapproval there? We could perhaps overlook that, but then in the chapter that follows, the gentleman of Elvas is a little more direct when he openly states that some men were glad that de Soto had died and preferred Moscoso, his replacement, because he was less strict. What follows is a telling description of the expedition under de Soto. His replacement, the text says, preferred to see himself at ease in a land of Christians, rather than continue the toils of war, discovering and subduing, which the people had come to hate, finding the little recompense that followed. With de Soto's death, therefore, came a sudden and complete change of plans. That fruitless search for ever richer lands comes to an end. Now, returning home is the only aim of the expedition members. The remaining men are still in Arkansas, now heading west again, making this by far the most explored of all today's states in this expedition. In the next episode, the remaining expedition members head to Texas. Will they reach Spanish-speaking lands using this route? Thank you for listening to this episode of Long History. As always, please don't forget to like, subscribe and share if you can. It would be much appreciated. Thank you for listening and goodbye.